we are um, on the book of Hebrews. This is going to be uh, an interesting one. I, when I looked at this, um, probably when I read, I was reading the background on this, something that really struck me uh, was that what we're seeing in some parts of the church is, is a kind of, there's, a, there's something called a replacement theology, which suggests that uh, New Testament is the thing we just need to focus on, that the only thing we need to focus on. Uh, let me tell you this, Jesus never did away with the law. Uh, what, we, what we learn in this, in this era of theology and replacement theology uh, is that, we, that people, those people believe uh, that the New Testament is the only thing we should be focusing on. What Jesus came to do was not to erase or to wipe out or to delete what happened before. He came to fulfill. It is something that happened so he would fulfill what was put in place. Hebrews is that. Hebrews connects the Old Testament and the New Testament together in showing uh, what the Old Testament was always doing was, was a foreshadowing of what Jesus uh, did and continues to do today. So Hebrews is this kind of bridging. Uh, and, and I'm so excited about reading the background and just seeing uh, what we could learn from this book. It's going to be, uh, well, it's, it's just going to be interesting, uh, the amount of things that are in there. Uh, supremacy of Christ is absolutely the key uh, to this uh, series. Uh, that we trust and believe that Jesus is supreme above all things, uh, that we trust in him as our Lord and Saviour, and, and that kind of will reinforce what we do. Today's one is just an overview. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to explain some verses. We're going to just dip into some key verses as well, just give you a flavour of what we're going to be looking at over the next uh, 12 weeks, probably maybe 13, but certainly 12 weeks. Um, I also think this coincides nicely uh, with what our focus will be for this year as a church. Uh, as well as our <clears throat> ongoing mission to make disciples, uh, this year we'll be particularly focused on upping our maturity in Christ and in the faith. Uh, that we sometimes get a little bit uh, divided, I would say, in terms of focusing so much on one group of Christians, maybe new Christians, and we start to leave behind people who are already Christian, uh, or sometimes we, we focus too much on Christians and then at the cost of new people coming to learn about Jesus. I think this gives us a balance. This will provide us with a balance in how we can keep both of those in mind. Our focus here will be in teaching what the Christian faith is to non-believers. It will be about bringing new believers into a what a business term might be a roadmap uh, of, of making disciples uh, and, and it should be that once you come to believe in Jesus, the church's duty, I believe, is to bring them people on, is to grow them and mature them in the word. It is simply not a case that we're here just to they accept the gospel, they accept Jesus and let them leave them to their own devices. That cannot be the way. It is the church's duty, commanded to make disciples. So we're going to make disciples, encourage them, support them in the faith. We're going to support each other in the faith. Uh, love the prayers this morning because uh, actually the way we pray, uh, and we try not to give ourselves like, you know, make ourselves above God here in, in like, oh, aren't we great? We're not. But the prayers, uh, if you look at the cross, the cross is a representation of how we should pray. 
Firstly, it goes upwards, okay? So our prayers should focus on God. On, those fo- on that focusing of God as we pray to him and honor him in the prayers, it goes out sideways. And that's to all of us as, we, as, the, as the prayers build the church. First and foremost, God honoring. The, the, the effect of that is to, glor- is to honor and build up and edify Jesus' church, ready for the day that he will return. Here we will also engage and encourage Christians to not stand still, to grow in the faith, no longer being afraid to learn and study the Bible. And we'll certainly see that in our study evenings as well, but also in our long-term Bible study of theology. Uh, again, don't be afraid of that word. It's really, it's going to, I'm, I'm particularly interested, my mind's a bit blown by some of the stuff I've already read, but it's just fascinating to read. I will say this about that particular course. You don't have to accept things that are presented in it, okay? This is not a, uh, a, a dogged doctrine, okay? These are things that are presented that, we, that will help us to understand who God is, his character, and why he wrote the word, what it is for us, uh, how we can learn from the Bible, how we can perceive things, how we can read the books of the Bible in the right way, as they are different letters, different books for different purposes for different people. Uh, and so uh, that, that is really where we're heading with, with the, the, the Bible theology course. But for the whole year, this focus will be reflected in our sermons on Sunday. So the books we study will have similar themes as we go through the year, uh, but with specific focus on learning new aspects of those themes as we pick up books of the Bible. And I think I've put into three simple terms here what uh, our... Uh, the bedrock of this year is, and I think I sent them out to you, but it's to be, is for new believers to renew those who have slightly lost their engagement in the faith, maybe, and to grow believers. That's to continue to grow those who are already believers, but to keep growing and maturing. So what is Hebrews? Let's get to our study today. Hebrews is a book about the fundamental Christian doctrines what we must know and believe to be true about the word and therefore Christianity itself. So you can see why it's quite important to ground. Hebrews is like a grounding book. It grounds us in, in the faith, gets us to understand what must we believe, what are the important aspects of what we must believe of the faith. It's a book of encouragement, of practical warnings against remaining spiritually immature. Uh, as one commentator puts it, uh, to warn us away from sloth, slothfulness, have you seen the sloths? Uh, they're very slow and they move around. They've got big arms and stuff and they move very slowly. Uh, we don't want to be sloths, okay? We don't want to be that. Uh, it's a warning against being kind of, I, can, I don't know, losing our edge, I suppose. We, we don't just want to sit back and go, well, I, I, we believe, that's it. We're done here. Uh, it is a warning against that, to be ready. Revelation, that was in preparation for this, to always be ready. Uh, as we dig into the word, but ready for Jesus's return. It means, as Jesus warns us, to be watchful every day, every second uh, of what's going on around us. But what is the core point of this book is the founder and finisher of our faith and salvation, Jesus Christ. It is a book obsessed, rightly so, with the superiority of Jesus in who he is and his work. It is obsessed with him. It is written about him. What Hebrews does is reveal that the Old Testament writings 
were a foreshadow of what it was, what was and is to come in Jesus Christ. Again, just that connecting together, bringing old scriptures together. I believe there's about 39 references to Old Testament scripture in Hebrews, uh, bringing together and connecting that with the foreshadowing of what was to come and is in Jesus Christ. It will reveal that what makes the Christian faith unique is that Jesus Christ is better. Uh, there's a translation in this. Uh, so we use uh, some Bible translations use supremacy, supreme. Uh, some use better as a translation. Uh, Christ is better. But this is what this book is saying. It's saying Christ is better. That is the uniqueness of the Christian faith than any other religion, a religious system has to offer. It will show that the pomp and ceremony of religion is, is no match for the God-man that is Jesus Christ, who in his work and person is better than anything else on offer. It will teach us that the old covenant system that required continual sacrifices every year is now an in, is insufficient as payment of sin. So hence the reference to Old Testament, and we'll, we'll see what Jesus was, came to do on the cross in that actually the sacrifices of the old no longer will be sufficient because now Jesus is the ultimate lamb, perfect lamb, sacrificed for our sins once and for all, as the Bible says. It will now show that Jesus has provided this once for all payment for all sin for all time. And we now have access to God through who made the way. Hebrews, the, the book itself, is believed to be written in uh, like a sermon or a collection of sermons. Uh, and actually uh, is, is uh, believed to be a well, among the most well-written books of the Bible in that sense. It's, it's believed to be so well-written. Uh, there, there was, I think there's even some dispute with Paul in, in the way that he wrote things and certain things he said. But actually, uh, this is considered one of the uh, masterpieces of the Bible uh, in this book. It is addressed to converts from Judaism who were pressured into going back to the old ways. But it is also written to unbelievers who had knowledge of and an in, in intellectual acceptance we saw that in Paul when it to Romans, there was a sense of people accepting God. But actually, it's all, this is also written to those people that there's, a, there's something. It's, it's actually written to those people that go, well, I think there's something out there. I believe something is in the universe. So this, this book of Hebrews can actually help unbelievers who have a sense of something, uh, that there is more than them. Unbelievers who are attracted to Christ, but who rejected him ultimately. So it covers most people. So what we will need to be careful as we look at this book, uh, so we know which part is addressed to which groups. And, and we'll divide that up as we go. That certain parts of the book are addressed to certain people. And, and you see why we have to be really careful and why we're talking about theology, because we have to be uh, careful. This will help us, as I'm reading it, thinking, how can we learn to not take Bible, uh, Bible verses out of context? Hebrews will help us with that too, because it's directed at certain people for certain groups for certain things. So actually, we're going to get taught how to keep contextually within the Bible as we uh, look at verses in the Word. 
the writer, uh, as it says here, it shows that the writer, uh, as you read the text, is an expert in debate and persuasion. So it's a sort of apologetics, but it's not. It's just that the way he has written it uh, is, uh, is so well put together uh, that it, it, people find it difficult to debate against. Uh, and, and the way it's done is, is through uh, this amazing sense of persuasion. Uh, and you remember that Paul did the same thing. There is a sense that Paul might have wrote this as well. However, what's missing, and again, what we need to, what we look at when we look at books of the Bible and understand who wrote which book, is the only way mostly we know is through patterns. The reason why this might not be written by Paul is because there's no uh, salutation. There's no a great welcoming, uh, opening, encouragement uh, to those that are reading it. So actually, this is a slightly different letter. If Paul did write it, it's very different from his other letters. But ultimately, we don't know. One of those things I would say we don't need to worry about. Okay, This is a book of the Bible. God has made it a way, made a way for this book to be included. So we study it, and so we look at it. Uh, it uses imagery, metaphor, Old Testament connections in a way that's masterful. So to demonstrate that he really knows what he is talking about. With all that said, as I said, the writer of Hebrews remains a mystery. The writer of this uh, book relied upon knowledge and information provided by others who are actual eyewitnesses of Christ Jesus. There's evidence to show when it was written, such as the fact that Timothy was alive at the time the, this book was written, and the absence of any evidence showing the end of the Old Testament sacrificial system that happened in AD 70. It indicates this book is written around AD 65. Uh, it says, uh, I, I, I saw this, it was quite interesting. The late, it says the late Dr. Walter Martin, he's founder of the Christian Research Institute and writer of a book called Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, he made this quip, uh, as it were, this comment on Hebrews. Uh, and he said, it was the book of Hebrews was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews telling Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. It's great, isn't it? And it's true. It's absolutely true. It's a warning against going back to the old ways, the old system. Even that is, is I think, is a really helpful um, quote. <clears throat> Many of the uh, early Jewish believers uh, were slipping back into these rites and rituals of Judaism as well in order to escape this persecution. Uh, we, we saw constantly that that was happening in the New Testament. Uh, we see it with Barnabas. We see it when Paul um, berates, corrects, uh, and uh, when Barnabas goes and eats with the others, with, with the people from his old church, as it were, uh, and he, he then uh, leaves the Gentiles. Paul corrects him, rebukes him, says, that's not what you, you, you can't go back to that system. We're here to share the gospel, to eat with everyone, Jews and Gentiles. This letter, so, is an ex exhortation, an encouragement um, for those who persecuted believers to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. With that, let's look at some verses, a kind of brief overview, uh, not going into too much detail, but let's look at some verses today. Uh, Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir, heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We are told, first and foremost, God exists. And that God speaks to us. This idea is the basic fundamental uh, principle to understanding the God of the universe who is and was and is to come. It is to accept that God exists. Always there, never not there. Hence why you get this first part uh, telling us that God spoke to us in various ways, but now he speaks through his son. In that presence, he's spoken to mankind, sometimes through parables, sometimes through historical narrative, prophetic confrontation, dramatic presentation, psalms, proverbs, but now he speaks through his son, Jesus Christ. This is a confirmation, one of those, one of many in the Bible, that Jesus is God. As all things, it says, were made through him and appointed to him. He is the very representation of God, both the messenger and the author of creation itself, which as God qualifies Jesus and him alone as the perfect atonement for all sin. Just in these first three verses, what we know to be true is that it required Jesus, the God-man, to die on a cross but was also God in order to pay the price of sin. It is not simply a man who was in right relationship with God. It is God. Let's look at another one. Hebrews 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we ignore so a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. It must take the word which came by angels seriously. If we are to do that, then we must take the word that came by the Son of God even more seriously. The Son is proven to be greater than the angels, so his message should be regarded as greater. The salvation, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Again, back where, what we're looking at here is this reference to those that heard him, those that spoke. Now the author is saying, I'm, gonna, I'm writing this down. I'm telling you what they, what they saw, I'm confirming it. So I, what I love about this is that people often think the Bible is some kind of wispy out there, you know, kind of like hippie belief. I'm telling you, if you really read the Bible properly, pro properly it provides more than sufficient proof that God exists. Written by people who, for some, were absolutely against God. Who killed Christians claiming that that's what God wanted. And that very person became a Christian himself. 
the Bible is perfect reasoning in that sense. It provides enough evidence for us to engage with it. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. These verses, it's, as it says, speaks of a high priest in Jesus that we are encouraged to confess our sins to, for he and he alone ministers for our sake in heaven on our behalf. I saw, um, strangely, strange timing, I saw something uh, pop up on my Facebook feed, which is, um, I, I don't know what to make of it, to be honest, it's certainly not Christian, it's certainly not biblical. Uh, they were offering, this so-called church, they were offering um, forgiveness, confessions uh, and forgiveness. And what they would do is they said, when you, uh, if you apply online for this confession, they'll give you a certificate of, of confession, of, of absolution, uh, which, which, and, and I, this is one of many adverts that appear, and, and just not just on Facebook, but everywhere. And this sort of craziness, as if you will, you will go to heaven and it's, Lord, I've got my bit of paper. Here's my certificate that shows I have confessed my sin. It's, it is crazy. Uh, and, and, and actually what you have to also do is pay for it. You have to pay for this certificate. I mean, I look at this and I think, how are we making this so complicated? The Bible says, confess your sin to God. It's so simple. But yet we will have charlatans that will want to take the Bible and say, you can only do that with a stamp of some kind of authority, as if you gain some sort of qualification through having a certificate. And God will only be happy with this man-made certificate. We are called as Christians to confess to Jesus. So this is no empty or powerless confession as if to a man, as if to some sort of place you get a certificate from a man, but to one that is not only able to hear, but is able to sympathize with us. Empathize with us. How is that possible? When we look at Jesus and we know him to be God, yet he said in these verses right here, that he can empathize, sympathize with our suffering. It's because the very sins he died for were the ultimate price that we could uh, never afford or never be able to pay. In other words, he knew, knows, the depth of the consequences of the sin that we are at war with. We experience sin everywhere around us, in our life, we are affected by it. Let me say this, Jesus knows to what degree that sin will go to. And by his grace, we, I would argue, do not experience that extremity of the depth of sin. 
because grace is in place to to help us to not go that far but a time will come as we read in revelation that that will be the time that grace will be removed from this place and what will happen is that we will experience a people certainly who don't believe will experience a graceless time that that should scare everybody where no more grace exists and the full force of sin is unleashed. And just as we saw in Revelation, people will not be able to survive it. Only Jesus, who was without sin, who had victory over sin, can provide a means of escape, can provide a means of rescue and a means of restoration. Let's look at another verse here. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1, says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Give you a couple of quotes here. These are good quotes from Morris. These are Bible commentators, Bible teachers. It says, uh, Faith extends beyond what we learn from our senses. And the author is saying that it has its reasons. Its tests are not those of the senses which yield uncertainty. What he's saying there, just, just try and clarify what he's saying there, what we see around us is uncertainty, isn't it? We see in this world that things just do not live out to their so-called promise. What faith is, is not using our senses in the same way we see the world. Faith is, is that trust that we have in God that cannot be uh, material, that we cannot necessarily apply in the same way we see the world. So it is what we do not see that we must have hope in. Uh, another comment here uh, from uh, some uh, quote from Bruce says, physical eyesight produces a conviction or evidence of visible things. Faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible. Faith is needed for what we can't see and can't touch. Again, Going back to Revelation, there's a, a big purpose of why Reve we were learning Revelation. That is the thing to come. It is a thing we cannot see and it's a thing we cannot touch. John tells us through the visions he had, but we are to hope in, in what we see in Revelation as, the, as what will happen in the future. So we hope in Jesus Christ because Jesus, in whatever way that happens, in whatever order it happens, have trust in him, even if... It is not something you can see like you see in the world. But this verse in particular, Hebrews 11 verse 1, carefully explains that belief is beyond reason. It cannot be measured by the world. Yet, yet, it is not in contradiction to reason or against reason. I think that's why people find it frustrating. I think it's why unbelievers, non-believers find it frustrating. Because when people pick this up, they, they know there's reasoning in it, and yet find it hard to reason with it. <laughs> I think people are more so antagonized by Christianity because of this sense of contradiction that it's not against reason that you can believe in it 
because what it says reveals everything truthful about us, more so reveals everything about God. To believe in Jesus <clears throat> is not a leap of faith. Faith is founded in the word of God that requires a willingness to trust and believe in what is presented. Here are the facts. Will you trust them? Faith in what we do not see ensures we do not become isolated in intellectual understanding. That it is based in both what we see and learn in the word and made reality when we believe and trust in it to be saved. Let's look at some other verses here. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the, and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. <coughs> As we look at these verses in the, the minds of this author, he pictures these previous champions of the faith as spectators from heaven, cheering us on as we, we press on to overcome the discouragement, um, much like an athlete in a competition, that you get people, the crowd, uh, urging you on in the same way uh, it is pictured uh, here. But this also might not be literal. This might not be a literal sense of people, uh, of previous champions of the faith cheering us on. Uh, but it certainly paints a picture of heaven uh, more so that God wanting those to come to faith and remain strong in the faith. That principally, and this, this point is debated whether there are people actually cheering you on or, or whether there are previous like Moses and, and all those people sitting there cheering you on. Again, it is secondary. The picture being painted here is that God is urging us, uh, talking about, as we learn in Hebrews, the previous champions, as it were, of the Old Testament, the people that, that brought God's word, that, that did the things that God called them to do, irrespective of how perfect or imperfect they did it, but ultimately not to focus on them, but actually if they were able to do it, just as they were as flawed as we are, then surely as they trusted in God, if we trust in God, then we can reach the finish line. We can get there. So we may take this surrounding as in the same way that the author connects the Old Testament as a foreshadowing of Jesus, that we can look back on those that have run the race as a mean to encourage us to persevere in the faith. This encouragement becomes before the the exhortation, the command to lay aside sin and its weight. Sin, as we should all know already, can hold us back. It can, uh, it can trip us up on our walk with God. But there are also things that may not be sin, uh, but are merely hindrances. So there is sin, and I'll tell you, I'll just explain the different aspects of sin but there is sin that will certainly and most probably be incredibly dangerous to your walk with God. And then there is the other end of it where there's sin that we, we may 
fall into, let me say the word dabble in, that we may that we need to learn not to, that we can still be we can still ask for forgiveness and the Father will give it to us because Jesus Christ and his salvation. So there are hindrances and then there are almost pitfalls to keep us from running effectively the race God has for us. So the specific mention of entanglement or uh, another description puts it, uh, another Bible in ensnaring, another translation says ensnaring, uh, but it's to help us understand the different aspects of sin. I think I've got the, yeah, I've got the slide. So these are kind of four aspects of sin. First one, easily avoided, but are not. So these are things that we 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 fall into without necessarily thinking directly about doing it. Maybe we do things and then realize we've done it. They are admired, yet must be laid aside. So those are things that the world loves. Those are the things that the world wants you to do, uh, but yet are sinful. And those, those, are, those are really difficult to walk in, as it were. When we look at adm to be admired yet must be laid aside, are you going to lay aside your pop popular, your popular level, your pop how popular you are with people, to lay aside and do it for Christ? One of the really uh, uh, difficult things, uh, and I would certainly uh, say that in a celebrity, sports person sense this must be very difficult to be admired not for your faith but to be admired for what you do that's not god honoring then we have ensnaring and harmful things that are just harmful to your walk that really get you stuck for a little while in your walk with god then there are more dangerous things than uh, any of the others are which potentially depending on, on how it all works some people walk away from the faith so these are aspects of sin <clears throat> that we must be very aware of. So whilst we are tempted by the devil to commit these different kind of aspects of sin, I think what Hebrews will teach us is that ultimately we cannot blame our sin on that temptation. We need to be careful that we're not saying that we're not sinful. And in fact, the Bible tells us to not do that. The Bible tells us, don't say you're not sinful. Don't do that, because you'll be doing everything against Jesus and what he did on the cross. I'm paraphrasing. Ultimately, it comes down to whether we do them or not. And we can't just lay the blame. It's going, oh, the, the devil did that. We know from the word, when we study biblically, when we study the word, we know that we are tempted. So there is almost like a, a bit of a space for us to decide whether we're going to follow up on that temptation. But let me say this. It doesn't necessarily make it easier to know that. In fact, knowing that will make us more aware that we can be tempted. And so we're now on guard every little thing, every small thing that might lead to bigger things. Always starts with thoughts, doesn't it? Always starts with what we think about and, and the seed is planted and then it grows into potentially something dangerous. We are simply called to lay aside the weight and sin that can entangle us. And this is why we are called to endure and endurance with patience. I only have to look at her and she runs off, right? That's what I do now. She runs, she runs back. 
and then she, she goes back. Um, but this is why we're called to endure. Endurance, uh, I think, produces patience, uh, but certainly uh, we need to, to run the race ahead. We need to endure what happens on that race. It will be, as I've said recently, a commitment and effort. But it will be, as we learned in Revelation, more than worth it. Uh, there's a quote here from Barclay. He says, uh, it does not mean the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which masters them. It is active patience. It is not sitting idly by and going, well, uh, thank you for the, for the, in your prayers about the uh, uh, be still and know you are God. Uh, knowing that context of that verse is not, and I think you all know this, is not to sit still and do nothing. It is to, is to sit in the, in the amazing salvation of Jesus Christ in God and watch him do his stuff. And in doing so, we'll do all our things to him, to honour him, not to honour ourselves. It goes on, he says, It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Uh, I watched recently, um, I've seen some sermons that uh, I'm very careful about who I choose to watch and, and who I choose to read. Uh, but they had this um, saying about how Christians um, can be, in context of this quote here, we can sometimes get fall into the trap of allowing the, the devil to calm us. You don't need to do anything. Shh, shh, shh. Stroke, you know, like you stroke a dog, you stroke a cat, like that. So, no, 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 you don't need to be worried about what's going on. You're, you're a Christian, you believe, that's fine. Don't do anything else. A sense that we are being dulled. What he's trying to do is speak to our comfort so that we won't be as sharp in the faith. And I believe that. I think there is something to that in that he is trying to make us feel good and feel comfortable just because we believe in Jesus. I think there's something more to it. If we're not sharp, if we're not remaining sharp in the word, if we're not studying the word and, under, and keeping on top of our relationship with God, we just get this sense of temptation to go, no, 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 you don't need to do anything. Just be calm. Don't do anything. These words, certainly, when it talks about endurance, uh, certainly patience, it is about an active patience. We are still doing something for the Lord, even in our patience and even in our waiting. It will require a purposeful look to Jesus and look away from other things that may tempt us away. We must guard most certainly against seeing Jesus as only an example. Comes back to that same thing that the world tries to tell us. Wasn't he a great moral teacher? As, as the years go by and I, and I just, you know, you, you keep learning more about the Bible and therefore more about Jesus. When I hear these statements of a great moral teacher, I, I keep asking, I keep saying, have you read the Bible? Because there is more to it than just living a really good life, as it were. I mean, at the end of, of this time, when Jesus returns, 
There is a choice to be made. Have you read the Bible? That so-called moral teaching you keep talking about is Jesus telling you that if you don't choose him and be in him, there is the other way that you'll be going. It doesn't even require us to be theologians, to be you know, great studiers of the word, great students of the word. Just read what Jesus did and what Jesus said to people. At times, I think if people read some of more of just outside of what he said about being good and nice to people, I think they'd be shocked. I mean, at one point, he tells a rich man who claims to have done everything that Jesus wanted him to do to say, but you haven't done enough. You still haven't done enough. You've got to let go of all that wealth. I want you to let go of it. And that, that you're, you'll be totally and totally focused and totally believe in me. And what does it say? The man just went away. <laughs> it's not just good moral teaching. It's more than that. It leads to salvation or it leads to condemnation. Let me bring this to an end. Jesus uh, did not regard the cross itself as a joy. But he could look past the horror of the cross to enjoy the joy beyond it. The same mentality will enable these Jewish Christians we read about in Hebrews and ourselves to endure. So here is the purpose of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is here for us to challenge, to encourage, to empower believers. And according to this letter, Jesus Christ is superior to all prophets and all other claims to the truth, to all other religions, to all other systems, even to the system of religious culture within the Jewish, uh, within the Jewish people. Let me balance that with they're his chosen people. If we don't balance that with his cho that they're his chosen people, we move into replacement theology, which says, it's not the Jews anymore, it's us as Christians. If you are studying Revelation with me, you will know that that is not the case. Jews and Christians will come together, will be united under Jesus. But since God has given us Christ, we should listen to what he says and not move backwards. The consequences of ignoring God are absolutely dire. I, I, I don't make that, I don't blunt that message. It is absolutely dire to ignore him. The uh, Hebrews is important for drawing on many portions of the Old Testament in making a case that Christ is the ultimate and perfect expression of God's plan for mankind. That is what we will learn from, from Hebrews. So as we get into this over these next 12 weeks or so, and in our study as well, in our Bible study, I hope and pray for this to be a start to both reinvigorate our faith, but also a continuation to mature in the faith. There's going to be some really plain and simple things made clear in this book. 
And some are going to love it. And I hope Christians love it because that's why you believe in Jesus. Some unbelievers will hate it. But we are to stick with the word, no matter what the world says, no matter what the world does or how it responds, we are to stay true to the word. Let us pray and let's worship uh, one last time before we finish our service today. Lord, we just want to thank you that you are supreme, that your supremacy is proven in this book, in the Bible. That, Lord, the only faith, the only, the only faith, the only religion, as it were, I hate that word, but the only religion, as it were, is in Christianity that actually speaks and proves that we need a saviour for our sins. That there is both a heaven and a hell. That we can only be with Jesus if we repent of our sinfulness, agree with what the Bible says and therefore what God says about us. And so to be forgiven and then to be invited into the family of God. Lord, I pray that you will show us this way ahead as we learn in this book, both to encourage us, encourage each other in the church, but also, Lord, how we can help unbelievers, non-believers, to understand that above all else, Jesus is king. That whatever preference or theories we might have, that no matter what, it is true that Jesus came, died on the cross and rose again for the sins of many for one time and all time. Thank you, Lord, that you are showing us uh, a way forward as you show us this year what, uh, what you want us to do in this community. We pray, Lord, that it be all about you for your glory, for your kingdom, for your name. Lord, I pray that we will continue to stay and stand by steadfast the word of God in Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.